We're in this series, and we've been in this series now, this is the fourth week, uh, where we're looking at Bible 101, the process of trying to feed ourselves with the Word of God, that we've talked about how all of us at some point in our spiritual walk get to a point where we no longer have to depend or should depend on other people to continually feed us God's truth. God wants us to learn with His Word and with the Holy Spirit how to feed ourselves. And so we're in that process of learning, not only what God's Word says, but how to approach God's Word when you're sitting down. Because often what happens is believers come out of the baptismal waters and they think there's a game plan. And usually somebody hands them a big book and they say, figure it out, essentially. And yet Jesus said, I want you to go make disciples. Well, if God's Word is truth, and it is, and your life depends on it, at some point, those of us who are leaders, those of us who are teachers, have to teach you not only what God's Word says, but how to actually read God's Word. Now, that is sort of offensive to some people. They're like, I've been in church for 30 years. I know how to read God's Word. Okay, that's great. It'll be a refresher for you. But for the rest of us, and for me, I have to think about how to approach Scripture. And we were in week four, so I encourage you, if you missed the first few weeks, just go back um, you can go to Frank Bible Truth on the YouTube channel. You can go there on the podcast. You can go to our, our church website uh, and get caught up because I think this is a very important thing for us to learn how to do. We've been talking about the four C's. And I, I told you that when we look at the Bible, we're looking really at four things uh, that we apply. And the first one is content. What does the Word say? What do we see? When you read a passage, the first thing you should think about is I'm not trying to solve it. I'm not trying to figure it out. Just what is here? What is being said? What's, what does it do what, emotionally? How does it affect me? What is here? What do I see? Second is context. What did it mean to the first audience that read it? Because these letters are from the first century to the first century. Third, connection. Which of these truths do I bring forward to today? Which ones do we look at today? And then the fourth one is conduct. Based on what I've learned... What is God asking me to die to? What do I need to change about me? What part of me needs to be transformed by the Holy Spirit because of what I've now learned? And we always start with content, and truthfully, we're going to be in content for quite a while. What does the passage contain? What do we see when we look at the passage? And the passage today, I want to highlight for you just a couple things that I'm going to point out uh, that you need to... I think, start paying attention to when you read the Word. And today we're going to talk about uh, links and lists. Links and lists. Now, we all know what lists are, right? I mean, we all have like grocery store lists. We have to-do lists. When the Bible, when you start putting things together, there's a list. There's one, two, and three. And often by studying and identifying lists, you can begin to gain some deeper insight into Scripture. Links are words that are used to connect two different ideas or to repeat an idea in a different way or to show some contrast. If this, then that. If because of, in order that, 
and, so, therefore, so, also. Those are linking words that are telling you that the writer is trying to connect two ideas together and it helps you sort through it. So when you begin to read a passage, after you read it a few times, begin highlighting and any of the linking words that you see because they're the key to understanding text. Often you'll see two paragraphs and they'll be linked at the top of the second paragraph by so that or therefore, those kind of things. Get, get in the habit of paying attention to those. On the first pass through scripture though, I do this every time I'm getting ready for a sermon or I, I, I do this every time I'm studying on my own. The first time you read through scripture, I want to encourage you to focus on how it makes you feel. Don't try to understand it. Don't try to analyze it. Don't try to come up with the deepest gold truth that's in there yet. We'll get to that. But the first read through, how do you feel when you finish reading it? Let's try that. I'm going to read to you the passage for today. All I want you to do while I'm reading is think about what emotions are there in this text. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it's bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister to Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. What emotions do you feel? I'm sorry? Warm, fuzzy, okay. What type, uplifting, what type of passage do you think this is? Is this a, is this a condemnation? Is it a correction? Is it a, what, what kind of passage are we about to read? Encouragement. It's an encouraging passage. It's the emotions that you get from this is here's somebody who really cares about these people. And part of you may go, man, I want to feel, I want, I want people to feel that way about me. I want letters from people that say these things about me. Paul has a deep concern for these people. You can feel the emotions in, the, in his words. We always thank God. When we pray for you, we, we thank God when we pray for you. We, not just me, a bunch of us are doing this. He's so proud of them, how they're growing in the faith, how they're bearing fruit, how they understand the grace of God in truth. He says, we thank God for you. We pray for you. We pray for specific blessings for you. You can imagine how desperately his heart longs to be with these people. You can feel it in the text. He's trying to find the right words to express what's on his heart. They're constantly on his mind, he says. He has to stop praying for them. Now, what's amazing is not just his heart and love for them, but the fact that he's never met them. 
These are people Paul's never met before. I know how he feels. I've been praying intensely for somebody I've never met, but we'll get to that soon. Paul's writing a letter to people he's never met. And his heart is overflowing with thankfulness and joy and love and blessings. You would think that he's writing to his best friend, this long lost person from far away from childhood, a spouse that writing home from a war zone or a prisoner writing home to his family from prison. Oh wait, that one's true here. <laughs> okay, the first thing to pay attention to when you read a passage, what emotion does it make me feel? Because communication is all about emotion. That's why we communicate. We, we communicate first and foremost to get somebody else to feel what we're feeling or to share our emotion. Is it love? Is it correction? Is it conviction? Is it joy, peace, amazement? Writers write to convey emotion. Too often we spend too much time on our first pass through the scripture focusing on the information trying to get us cut to the chase, and we miss the entire emotion which sets up the way we should be looking at the text. This text is full of love and celebration and excitement. Let's look at some linking words in this passage. Verse 9, verse 10. When you see linking words, go ahead and take your Bibles out. Go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, to Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. And I want you to skip down to verse 9. When you see linking words, I want you to think of them as equal signs. A lot of times when you see linking words, they're telling you that because of this, this, or because of this, this, or this is like this, they're connecting the two ideas. We always thank God for you because of the hope we've heard. We have in heaven that you learn from um, Epaphras, and so from the day we've heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. And so is the linking word. It's connecting two thoughts. You can reverse it. We've not ceased to pray for you from the day we've heard, and so we thank God for you because of the hope you have in heaven that you learned from Epaphras. Look at the second one. So as, asking that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You reverse that, you can say, if I want to walk in the manner worthy of the Lord, I have to be filled with the knowledge of his will. These are links. You see them a lot when God commands us to do something and then tells us what the blessings will be. You know, when God says, okay, um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Okay, well, what he's telling you is, if I want people to do unto me, I need to do the same unto others. So often what happens is you can reverse it. For I know the plans I have for you, plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Or maybe even a better one is be anxious about nothing, but in everything with prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And, that's the link, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. Often, those passages become much stronger when you reverse the flow. If I want the peace of God that transcends all understanding that guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus, then I need to be anxious about nothing and spend my time in prayer and petition. Those are linking words. We'll get into it later. The second thing I want us to notice today are the lists. Lists are critical in the Bible. We're going to learn a lot about lists as we go through Colossians. But right now, all I want you to do is see them. 
A list can be two things. It can be three things, five, six, whatever. In Jewish writing, one thing about lists that I'll go into later is they're almost always in order of importance from beginning to end. Lists are never random in Jewish writing, okay? Let's look at our passage. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And what I want you to do is I want you to look at this passage and tell me if you see any lists in this passage. Let me make it easier for you. Let's put up the next slide. Okay? These are lists. Since we've heard of, one, your faith in Jesus Christ, two, of the love you have for all the saints, and three, the hope laid up for you in heaven. Okay? Those are lists. One, two, three. These are three things that have happened because we've heard of you. Okay? Do you notice what three things those are? Faith. Hope, love. Have you seen those before? If you look at this passage, you see faith, hope, and love. It comes from 1 Corinthians 13, which Paul would also write. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, he said. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. He's talking about maturity. He's talking about how in love we have to grow. We can't just sit ourselves down and be fed all the time. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know fully, even if I've been fully known. So faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest is love. You see, by noticing the list, it allows you to begin to process other parts of Scripture that bring light into what you're reading. Paul is basically telling them faith, hope, and love are the most important things. And and I'm praying that I'm I'm seeing that in you, faith, hope, and love. Let's look at the next verse. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Any lists here? Hey, what's the list about? Every list usually has a topic, okay? In this passage, the list is about the gospel. Do you see it yet? Do you see the list? The gospel, which has come to you, and the whole world is bearing fruit, and it's increasing, those three things. Okay, let's put up the next slide. Okay, so what have we learned about the gospel? Well... It's come to you, it's bearing fruit, and it's increasing, okay? So when we look at that, we can see, okay, here's three highlights of the gospel message. These are three things that Paul thought was important. Let's look at the next verse. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to you the love and the spirit. Do you see a list? I'll give you a hint. Ands often connect lists. 
Epaphras is a faithful minister of Christ and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's go to the next slide. Okay. Beloved fellow servant, faithful minister. Okay? So, so you see, though, now that doesn't change the way you interpret it, but now you're paying attention to what did Paul think was the most important thing about this man? These three things. He's a beloved servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ. And he's made known to them their love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay, now, this isn't easy, by the way, just so you know. If you're feeling like, wow, I don't see these, it's okay. Let me show you the list in this verse. Let's go to the next slide. Okay. We've not ceased to pray for you. Here's what we've been praying for. Asking that you will be filled with all knowledge. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the list here. Those are the four things he's praying for. You'll see that they're linked when you start looking at them. That you be filled with knowledge of his will and all wisdom. And bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. So what happens is... In this list, you begin to see some patterns. If I'm filled with the knowledge of his will, then I'm more likely to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'll be pleasing to him. I'll be bearing fruit, and I'll increase in the knowledge of God. One more. Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. Okay? The list in this one is about being strengthened. Let's go to the next slide. Okay? All power, all endurance, patience with joy. We've heard of, so when you look at these lists, I know you're thinking, why are we doing this? Well, here's the deal. If while you're going through Scripture, you write down the lists over on the side, then the lists often tell the story of the picture, of the, of the passage. We've heard of your faith, love, and hope. The gospel has come to you. It's bearing fruit, and it's increasing. Epaphras is a faithful minister of Christ. He told us of your love in the Spirit. We pray that you'll be filled with knowledge of his will, that you'll walk in a manner worthy of his will, that you'll bear fruit in every good work, and you'll increase in the knowledge of God. Not only praying that you would be filled with wisdom, but that you'd be strengthened with all power for endurance, patience, and joy. Sometimes you can just pull the lists out and make the text easier to digest one piece at a time. When you read this whole passage, it can be overwhelming. But when you start narrowing down to lists, it makes it easier. And then what you do is you take a list, okay? And let's just take, uh, well, you take one of these lists and you say, why did he list these things? What do they have in common? Why were they important? Are they listed in order of importance? Are they sequential? What's not on the list that you thought would be there? Is this list exhaustive or is it just a few examples? Why, why did he pick those examples? What's he trying to tell us? For instance, in one of our lists, Paul says that may you be strengthened with all power. That makes sense. Maybe you given all endurance. Yes, I need that. That makes sense. And then the third one is patience with joy. 
Why is that there? Why did that make the list? That's odd. What is it about our spiritual walk that's going to require patience with joy? What kind of place am I going to? What's going to be happening to me? Why would Paul pray that they're full of patience with joy when he just got off of power and endurance? Well, Paul's going to highlight that later in the passage, later in the book. So right now, all we're doing is I just want to spend a few moments and let you begin to notice lists. Sometimes bringing the words into lists make them more digestible. But here's what we do. When we read a passage, we look for the emotion in the text. We see the two paragraphs are linked by a connector, and we see several lists. Over time, that'll just become second nature. You won't think about it. You'll just, oh, there's a list. Okay, okay, those three things. Okay, good. Now, these things are important for lots of reasons, but the scriptures are only important if we apply them. My oldest son is about to become a father. I know what you're, th- I know what you're thinking. You and Tammy are so young and so youthful and so <laughs> vibrant. How in the world could you possibly be old enough to be a grandfather and a grandmother? How could that even, that, you must have had the kids when you were six. Yes, we did. We went to kindergarten together. I don't want to talk about it. No, I mean, it's like, oh, we're so young. There's no way. Well, it's happening. It's crazy. Anyway, I was speaking to my son this week. And I was thinking about how he's going to shape a new life. Found myself so excited for him. Because as he was talking about preparing a place for our grandchild, I could remember the feelings I had preparing a place for him. He was our firstborn. I remember what it was like. I told him how incredible the journey was going to be, how having a child is an incredible gift from God. And and I found myself wanting to tell him just how hard it's going to be. But I didn't. You see, that's the part of love that you have to discover on your own. You invest so much in your children. Prayers, hopes, desires, time, energy, sleepless nights financial resources, nurturing, protecting, guarding, encouraging, correcting, inspiring, disappointment, missed opportunities, and yet amazing successes. At times, making tough decisions that weren't popular. Constantly wondering if what you've done is enough. Even when they're adults with their own children, it seems impossible to put those emotions and those memories into words. You never stop wanting to protect them. You know God has given them to you and one day you need to let go and let God, but it's really hard. You wonder constantly if what you did was enough. Did you prepare them for everything? I found myself this week thinking about the example that I've set for my son. Is he prepared for fatherhood? Will he learn from my mistakes? and hopefully build on the things that I did well. My grandchild is going to face a very different world than the one I faced and the one my son faced. And honestly, I'm glad it's not me. From the moment I heard that God was going to bless us with a grandchild, I've been praying. Praying every day for my children, for their future spouses, for my daughter-in-law, and yes, for a grandchild I've never met. Tammy and I have three children, and they're far away. 
One's in Chicago, one in New York City, one in Nashville. They're all pursuing their God-given passions. But we can't really visit them right now. There's a shower coming up, and we wanted to fly to Chicago, and you can't. So I know what it's like to have children that you love and things going on in their lives and not be able to visit them and to be with them. And so when Paul starts talking about writing these words to people he hasn't met and people he can't go see, it sort of rings a bell with me. It's the emotion that stirs within me when I read this passage. I pray for the salvation of my children over 200 times every day. And I have for years. I always set up my computer password. You won't be able to figure it out from this, so don't worry about it. To include all three of their names, my daughter-in-law's names, or their initials. And every time I enter my password into the computer system at the hospital, which is a lot, every order, every test, every note, I pray for them while I'm waiting for it to boot. And while I'm praying for the computer to boot, I pray for them. I, I think about them hundreds of times a day. Being an elder or pastor is like that too. Several of my passwords have remnant in them. And I know it's a short time, but as that computer boots, I find somebody in the church to pray for or our church in general or what's going on. I think these prayers in a small way, very small way, help me identify with what Paul feels like. He had a deep love for the people he's to shepherd. He's not able to be there. He's thousands of miles away in Rome under house arrest, waiting trial, and probably death. He has a deep love for them, and some of them he hasn't even met yet. That's how I feel about my grandchild. When, when I met my daughter-in-law, I'd been praying for her, not knowing who she would be for 20 years. I pray for the spouses of my children they haven't met yet or those who will be their spouse. I pray that God is raising them up right now. You see, persistent prayer links our hearts with people, even those we haven't met. That's where Paul is, separated from the people he wants to be with. Yet in those difficult moments, his thoughts are not on his own situation. His thoughts are with the people he cares for. Yes, he's in prison. He's about to be executed, but his, his thought, his... His entire focus is on the people that he loves. So he tells the people in Colossians, from the day we've heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. We're three verses into Colossians, and I already know I don't pray enough. When I read this text for the sermon, I was struck by how important it was for Paul to find the right words to share with these people he never met how much he loves them, how proud he is of them, and how he's so thankful that they have a future in Christ. Each time you go through a text, it seems that God first and foremost connects it with your heart. That's where the lessons are learned. Pay close attention to how God stirs your heart with emotion when you read a passage. This, in many ways, is the process that God takes me through every time I prepare a sermon. God makes it clear to us that he wants to transform us, and he does so through our heart. So he has to connect with us at some level emotionally as well as intellectually. We can't just come here for information. We have to connect with the human experience. So once again, this week, I found myself praying for the right words, trying to take what's in my heart and share it with you 
trying to find the right words for our church to fully understand what Paul wants us to see in this letter. At the same time, I'm trying to find the right words for my son and for my children. They all left home years ago, but they never left, you know? It's kind of how it works. Uh, Behind Jesus and their mom, they're the most important people in my life. My son will soon discover the depths of love a parent has for their child. You can't prepare them for it. It just happens. I never understood the depths of God's love for me until I became a parent, and then it became apparent. So many emotions to capture. When I spoke to my son, I tried to find the right words, the inspiring words, encouraging words, words that would carry insight and wisdom Words that he'd always remember and words that express the love that his mom and I have for him. Words that one day would move his heart to experience the fullness of God's love for him and his family. I found myself asking God, what's the perfect prayer? If I was going to pray for my children every day, if I was going to pray my heart out for my kids and for my family, if I had one prayer to pray for the rest of my life for them, what would it be? And then God showed me a prayer that's over 2,000 years old, written in Rome by a man named Paul to a group of people he loved that he could not be with. And so from the day we've heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul first prayed that they would be filled, filled with knowledge, not worldly knowledge, Filled with all spiritual wisdom, not only having the wisdom, but having the understanding that comes with it and the knowledge of God's will in every circumstance. Think about what that would be like to have the full revelation of what God wants to do in a moment, to understand what's going on, to see the facts of what's going on and to see it from God's perspective and to know that you're in that moment. There were people at Colossae and there are people filling our society who are puffed up with human knowledge. They have information, lots of it, but they don't have any understanding. Oh, sure, they think they understand things. The best they can do is to understand things within the limits of being human. In this letter, Paul will be warning the Colossians about false teaching. Not the Gnostics this time, a different type of false teaching. Sometimes watching the History Channel or the Discovery Channel... And you see somebody, a religious scholar with a lot of human degrees, talk about a God they've really never met. It's like saying that my dog understands all that there is to know about being a human. She understands the best she can as a dog, but she's limited because she's a dog. She sees me leave every day. She sees me come back home. I feed her. I play with her. She may, in her little dog brain, think she understands humans. She may seem to be able to connect with my emotions. She may seem to understand some things. She might even be able to convince the other dogs in the house while we're away that she knows everything there is to know about being a human. But for my dog to get puffed up with knowledge about the human life is a joke. On her best day, She knows nothing about what it's like to be a human. Even if she has all the other dogs in the world fooled, her experience, understanding and research into the human experience, she can't fool me. She's a dog with a dog brain, the same brain that tells her how to greet other dogs. 
In the same way, we're humans. Some think we know everything we need to know about God. Never experienced God. They have theories and researches and observations and explanations. But on their best day, they're just humans with little human minds. All of us can only know about God what he chooses to reveal to us about himself. Our world is full of human experts who claim to have studied at the best human institutions, taught by the best humans, and are thus experts about God and spiritual things. And at times they convince others about their expertise, but their wisdom is from the world, and God says it's foolishness when it compares to spiritual things. One night years ago, a well-known Pharisee, an expert in the law, had an interaction with Jesus. Jesus tried to tell Nicodemus about spiritual things, but his human mind was just too limited to understand. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus had just said, you have to be reborn. Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? In other words, you have all this world knowledge and you don't understand spiritually what's happening? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. In other words, you're a human. You can only speak what humans know. You bear witness to what you've seen, but you don't receive the spiritual testimony that I'm giving you. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus tells Nicodemus, look, there's things that we're going to teach in the word and then there's things that can't be learned solely with the human mind. Spiritual things have to be taught by the Spirit, revealed to humans from the throne of God through the Word of God to the human with the Spirit of God. Human knowledge puffs up everybody, but it never saves anyone. John said it this way, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. How can you tell if a scholar is puffed up with human knowledge or has a true encounter with God? I watch TV all the time. Uh, and if a, channel, a show comes on about Jesus, I usually watch the first 30 seconds of it. Because it's usually very obvious from the very beginning where the heart of the person is. A, a human person puffed up with human knowledge is very much an authority. Someone who's encountered God is broken, humble, and almost scared to speak. One word that describes those who truly encountered God is brokenness, or as God says, humility. No one truly, truly experiences God and walks away with pride. It just doesn't happen. You become immediately aware of the truth that you don't belong in His presence, that you don't know anything that you're undeserving, unclean, and yet there you are in his presence only because he says you can be there. Prophet Isaiah came close to describing that feeling. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah saying, look, I am messed up. I am a sinner. I have no business being in the presence of a holy God. Brokenness. And with the Spirit of God in us, we can understand the things God has given us to understand about Him. But none of us have a full understanding of what it really means to be a spiritual being. 
1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for their folly to him. And he will not be able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. God has revealed to us in the scriptures all that he believes we need to know about him. It's more than enough to have absolutely unwavering faith in Jesus Christ. The spiritual truth, the gold, if you will, is given only to those who are spiritual. Those without the spirit of God never will understand the things of the spirit of God. We're limited by our human mind. The only way my dog could understand how to be a human is to become a human, right? I mean, in some miraculous way, my dog could, I don't know, say, be reborn as a human. Then my dog might begin to understand what it means to be a human. The only way we understand about what it means to be a spiritual being, as Jesus was telling Nicodemus, well, you've got to get out of your humanness. You've got to be reborn as a spiritual being. When you're reborn as a spiritual being, you will have the spirit of God and you'll begin to understand the things of God. You see, you have to be reborn. Even as believers, though, we only understand what God tells us about himself. The best thing we can do is just pray that as we go along, God will give us more understanding, more insight, one day, though, we're going to be with Jesus, and we're not going to be limited by our human mind anymore. Paul tells us what that's going to be like, too. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. You see, Paul's not praying for the believers at Colossae to get human wisdom. We've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's praying that they're filled with knowledge, but only spiritual knowledge. And that they gain understanding from that. God, I not only know who you are and what you've done, but I've heard from you because I've spent time with you. I know your heart. I know what you want me to do. I understand what's going on and I'm completely submitted to you to see that happen. Wisdom is knowing the truth. Understanding is knowing the deeper revelations of that truth and how it's applied. Why does Paul want them full of spiritual wisdom? That's where the key connector comes in. So that, he answers that question, so that. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I can't imagine anything better for any person on the planet than to have these things happen in their life that they gain spiritual wisdom, that they gain understanding, that they grow in all spiritual things. And because of that experience, they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Everything they do grows like fruit and they're increasing as they go in the knowledge, awareness, and encounter with God. How much better could it possibly get? 
Paul didn't want them just to gain spiritual knowledge so they could tell everybody what they know. He wanted them to change the world through the way they act. He wanted them to be full of spiritual wisdom and understanding because it would produce three results. One, they would live out their lives to honor God and be pleasing to him. Two, all the work they do would be productive and reflect God in their lives. And three, along the way, every day they grow in their understanding of God. It's an incredible way to live, but Paul's not finished yet. He's still praying. He knows that along the way, life's going to get hard, really hard. And just like we can't depend on human understanding, we can't depend on human strength to get us through. We're in a fallen world. We need God's strength, not our own. So Paul continues. Not only do I want all those things for you, I want you to be strengthened with all power. Not your power, according to his glorious might. I want you to have all the power that God has for all endurance. I want you to be able to endure anything. I want you to be able to get through anything. No matter what happens in your life, I want you to persevere. Not through your strength, but through the power that you just got from God. And while you're doing that, I'm going to pray that you're patient. And that along the way, you're full of joy. Because you know in the midst of difficult times, God is working out his plan. We need to wait on the Lord. He's in charge. This is what he's working through. And I want you to experience that. Be patient with God and be joyful that you're involved in what God is doing. Man, what a prayer. Knowing everything we can know about God within the limits of being human. Trusting Jesus with everything, being filled with all things. And it still doesn't guarantee a wrinkle-free life. We're going to have times where we're just going to have to endure. We're just going to have to hold on to Jesus because that's all we can do. Hard times test our patience. We're going to need a power that's greater than ours. We're going to need His glorious might. And along the way, we're going to need His joy. Paul's not finished giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Paul prayed not only that they would live lives that were full of joy, but also they would live lives that are full of gratitude. The kind of humble, broken gratitude that comes from having an incredible encounter with Jesus Christ. When you realize what he did for you that you could never do for yourself. God has qualified us to share in an inheritance that we don't belong in. It's not something we've done. It's all God. And because of that, along the way, as we receive this, as we're walking in the way we should walk, as we're getting all of God's strength, he says, and don't forget, I'm praying that you're just thankful. Why? Because there's a treasure stored up for you in the future. He says here that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin, that he's delivered us from darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son. Those are contrasts. We'll learn about that later. Delivered us, transferred us. Notice those words. Delivered us, transferred us. It's a transaction. 
He has delivered us from darkness. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his son. That should make us fall on our faces every minute of every day and say, thank you, God. He's the one who saved us. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. He transferred us to the kingdom of Jesus. He's the one that makes us saints of light. We've been redeemed and forgiven. If I was limited to one prayer for the rest of my time on earth, this is it. This is my prayer for my son, for his brother, his sister, my daughter-in-law, his wife, our grandchildren, my wife, me, you, every person I've ever met. If I could pray one prayer, this is what I want for everybody. If God said, I'm going to give you one blessing and just repeat it over and over, this is it. That they would come to know all spiritual wisdom and understanding from his will. And then as a result of that revelation, they'd live, they'd live lives that honor him. All along, they would depend on his power and his endurance and his patience, and they would do good work, and they would grow in the knowledge of God. And the whole time they're doing that, they're thanking God for what he's done for them, thanking Jesus for transferring them from darkness to light. What an incredible, incredible prayer. And in this short prayer, Paul has captured the key to life. So these words written 2,000 years ago, first to the believers at Colossae, speak to our congregation today. But there's another lesson to learn in this passage. Not really something Paul said, but rather something Paul did. It was as natural part of him as who he is. He likely would not have thought of it at all. He's a man of prayer. He prayed constantly. He was always in direct communication with God. I think he probably prayed in his sleep. It seemed as natural to him as breathing is to us. Paul was always praying. I want to be like that. I want to spend my day in constant dialogue with the Holy Spirit. I want to pray until I have a love for people that's so deep it hurts. I want to pray until I feel as though I love and know people I've never even met before. I want to pray for people I see on the news, for people I hear about who are in trouble, for people who are in leadership roles. Three verses into Colossians, and I'm already convicted that I'm not a man of prayer. I pray for the people I love. I pray for my wife and my kids and my family and my grandchild to come and my church family. But Paul prays for everybody. His first reaction in everything is to talk to God. And yet the only thing that keeps me from being just like Paul in this area is me. I know that I need to extend my prayer reach. I need to pray for my enemies. I need to pray for the people who are lost that will fill these chairs one day. I need to pray for people in other countries. I need to pray for missionaries. I need to pray for our leaders, our teachers, our police officers, those in sex trafficking, those with addictions, those contemplating suicide right now, those struggling with mental illness, those people who annoy me in traffic, the people I annoy in traffic, the server at the restaurant, the people who robocall my phone, Democrats, Republicans, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter. And I don't mean just pray. I mean pray until you have a deep love for them, even if you totally disagree with them. I need to pray until I love them. 
I need to pray until I care more about their salvation than I do their opinion. Until I care more about their salvation than I do my vengeance. That I care more about their salvation than I do my own pride. Until I care more about their salvation than I do about anything else. I want to challenge you to make a list. I want you to pray this prayer for people or for groups. Let me give you an example. God, I pray for all the people who are riding in the streets of our cities, who are destroying the property and life work of other hardworking people, who are using violence instead of their voice. God, I'm asking that they may be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May they be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, all along giving thanks to the Father. And as you pray this prayer, you're going to discover that it sets your heart up for further discussion with God about the people that you're praying for. You begin seeing them in the streets of heaven one day, raising up their arms, praising God, instead of in the streets of our cities, destroying things. You begin to see them the way God sees them, the way he sees all of us, humans whom he loves, who are harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. The more you pray for them, you begin to understand. You get God's perspective. They are people just like you who've been deceived by Satan. God shows you that your issue is not with them, but rather you're in a spiritual battle with a common enemy and they may not even know they're under attack. You realize after you pray long enough for them that you're not in conflict with them. You're in spiritual conflict with the one who has imprisoned them. You're in the gap praying for them because they don't know how to pray for themselves. They're doing what you used to do before somebody prayed for you and Jesus came and saved your life. Commit to becoming a person who prays without ceasing. Expand your prayer focus beyond yourself and beyond your immediate family. Maybe you could start by joining other people in prayer. We're here every Wednesday night at six o'clock. This is what we do. We pray. And you may be thinking, look, I don't pray out loud with strangers. That's okay. Come listen. There's strange people and they pray. You can learn how to pray. You can get comfortable by listening to others. You see, we're learning how to see the deeper truths that God has in his word and how to abide with him. But let me close today with a thought. As you pray for others, as you commit to truly praying for them, for their salvation, for their soul, you may disagree with them politically. You may disagree with a hundred things, but you really want them to burn in hell. When you begin to pray, something happens to you and to me. You begin to be filled with the knowledge of his wisdom and understanding. You begin to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. As you keep praying, you begin to bear fruit in every good work that you undertake. You find that you're living in a power that God provides for endurance, and you find patience and joy along the way. Find yourself very thankful for what God's done for you. You see, here's the goal that I think God wants me to share with you today. The key to having this prayer answered in your life 
is to be praying it for somebody else. As you begin praying this prayer for other people, it becomes real for you. You see, when God sees that your heart is not to be right, your heart is not to argue, your heart is not to pay attention to the... Your heart is solely focused on bringing that person to Jesus Christ. And you're going to keep praying until you have a love for them that's so deep, everything else that bugs you doesn't matter because you just want them to know Christ. And what happens is when you begin to see the world that way, you're beginning to gain God's understanding and this prayer becomes true in your life. It's by praying this prayer that you gain everything in this prayer. It's incredible. When you get on your knees tonight, ask God to show you people the way he sees them. Ask him to give you a burden for the salvation of everybody who doesn't know Jesus. Truly burdened. Ask God to fill you with spiritual wisdom and understanding, to strengthen you in his power. And when you rise up from your knees, you walk more in a manner worthy of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. God, I thank you that it's when we finally begin praying for others that our prayers are answered ourselves. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. God, I pray that as we get on our knees and humble ourselves before you, as we realize that we are unclean people, who are in the presence of a holy God and that we don't belong there. But through Jesus, we have access to you. That you would get us off our high horse, get rid of our pride, get rid of our arrogance. Let us quit focusing on stupid things that humans focus on and focus on the spiritual things that really matter. Help us to become a people of prayer. Even for people we don't know. Even people we've never met. God, burden our heart until it's just like yours. We love you, we thank you, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.